In your school or district, how is homework utilized and graded? Has your philosophy of homework changed during the pandemic and online learning? Today's guest, Dr. Eric Youngman, discusses the role of homework and shares strategies to make homework deliberate and valuable in our new educational settings. In this episode, we also discuss homework and grading practices, growth mindset as a student and leader, building leaders through coaching, and his book, 12 Characteristics of Deliberate Homework. Welcome back, everyone, to Aspire, the Leadership Development Podcast, where we will be discussing the visions, inspirations, and experiences from top educational leaders. My name is Joshua Stamper, and you can connect with me on Twitter or on Instagram at Joshua double underscore Stamper. Eric, thank you so much for being on the Aspire Podcast. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. I'm looking forward to the conversation. Definitely. I feel like we've been connected for a while, but to actually have you on the podcast has been a goal of mine for some time. And uh, before we dive into a lot of different topics on homework, growth mindset, and in your book, will you just provide to our listeners your leadership journey? I began as a first grade teacher. Uh, then I was an assistant principal for four years and a principal for eight years. And now I'm a director of curriculum instruction and assessment for Libertyville District 70, which is a kindergarten through eighth grade school district in Illinois. Wow. So first grade teacher, huh? <laughs> yeah, it was interesting. I was, I was in college and I did fourth grade student teaching. And then I was made aware that a school district was hiring. So the only opening they had was for first grade and I interviewed for it. And it was awesome. It was kind of a blessing in disguise because working with those young first graders, it's amazing to see their progress with reading and writing. Yeah. They think teachers are the greatest. They're focused and love everything. So it's, it's a good grade level to teach for sure. So let's talk about your leadership journey in the sense that you're going from a first grade teacher to an assistant principal. Was there someone that tapped you on the shoulder or was it something that you always wanted to become? I think it was in the end asking the questions and trying to take advantage of opportunities. So there was a training uh, where they were training teachers to become future administrators. So right away after my first year, I started working on my master's degree. Mm -hmm. And then that gave me some opportunities. And then I was in charge of summer school. And so just having those leadership opportunities over the summer, um, I recommend that future administrators or aspiring administrators take advantage of those opportunities because you get to plan, you get to hire, and you get to understand the leadership role a little bit differently. And then as an assistant principal, it was a great opportunity in the first two years. I think I was really just navigating and understanding what my role was. But by year three and four, um, then I could really work with teachers and help a lot more, I think. And I think that's another lesson for leaders that sometimes you really do just have to listen and learn and understand the teachers and understand their needs. And then you can kind of grow into your role after you have those relationships. And so again, for me as an assistant principal, that was really after year three or four. Then I got a great opportunity in the school district that I'm in right now, Libertyville, to be a principal of a kindergarten through fifth grade school. And again, another awesome opportunity where you're able to interact with all of the awesome parents and students and teachers um, and it's really nice to see those little kindergartners. Now I'm bumping into them and some of them are teachers. Um, so it's kind of dating myself, but it's awesome just to see them day to day, year to year with their siblings. But you can really have an impact and, and form some great relationships with teachers, students and parents. Most definitely. Let's talk about the transition from principal to director curriculum. What, is, what does that role entail? Well, I think a lot of the times um, we are focusing on curriculum and assessment. And so we have those adoption cycles that we go through and we have the assessments that we're planning for and the data analysis of that. But finally, this is my eighth year. Finally, the last couple of years, we've been able to focus more on instruction. So we did hire a literacy coach and a math coach, and we've done some research with Hattie's work 
um, and talking about effect sizes. And I think if you can be deliberate and understanding your impact, I think that's going to be um, the greatest impact. And I think we built a great foundation regarding our curriculum and our instruction. And so uh, we had to pivot into remote learning and hybrid learning. And now we're even looking at concurrent teaching. At least we have those relationships and a foundation. And then we had to quickly implement a lot of these topics. And it was not easy for the teachers. It's still not easy. It's not easy for the students. But by having those foundations and having coaches um, plan in advance and understand what other school districts are doing. Um, today, I was talking with other directors of curriculum um, within Lake County, Illinois, and it's just great to share ideas because we were all forced to make a lot of different changes. So it's good to share resources. Um, and again, but it's just nice to talk about that instruction again. Too much, it was about the assessment and the data, and too much is about the curriculum adoption, and those are important. Um, but really the, the biggest impact can be with that instruction and learning with the students. And Eric, I want to talk about your book. You have an amazing book, 12 Characteristics of Deliberate Homework. So for those who may not have read this book, can you just give a quick synopsis? Absolutely. It's basically focused on deliberate homework should be reasonable, meaningful, informative, and consistent. And so I'm really trying to help educators where they can reflect about their homework and think how can they make homework better for their students? It's not focusing on research of should you or should you not, uh, but it really focuses on if and when you assign homework, how can you make it reasonable and meaningful? And when you're doing that, I really focus, I work with school districts, regional offices, I'll present at conferences, and I try to focus concurrently on the two topics. So when I'm talking about reasonable homework, we really need to understand to have reasonable completion time, complexity, and frequency. Um, I was pretty deliberate about those words, and I think it really does set up a nice framework because if students are working too long um, or the problems are too challenging Mm -hmm. um, or it's daily homework that is too frequent, it's really going to be overwhelming. We then shift to meaningful where we have a meaningful purpose. You can't just assign homework that is busy work. It has to be meaningful. Um, It has to be aligned with learning targets. Um, It has to have a meaningful format. You can't teach math. And just because it's a Thursday, you can't advance to the next lesson if your students are not ready, especially you cannot assign that as homework. Um, So that format and that sequence, and then also for meaningful, I build in growth mindset where um, I'm asking the educators to scaffold those supports in advance so students are aware of how they can focus on their homework, how they can problem solve, how they can use strategies, what they should do if they have questions. So then when they are working independently, they can be successful. And so Those are the two areas that I'm working most on. Other topics that are infused into the book when we talk about informative are communication, feedback, and grading criteria. And I talk a lot about leadership. I think communication is essential for anything. Um, When we're talking about hard learning right now or any changes, we have to communicate that. So same with homework. You need to communicate it in advance. You need to understand after guided practice. You need to communicate after the assignment. Feedback, to me, that's even more important than grading. Uh, What feedback are you providing the students? What feedback are you seeing from that homework that informs your instruction? And then grading is just a whole nother rabbit hole. Again, how are you grading that homework? Mm -hmm. And then the final topic in the book I talk about is consistent implementation. Because if an isolated teacher makes these changes, it still will not have that large of an impact unless you're at an elementary school. If you're at a middle school, a high school, a university, and you have multiple teachers, well, if two or three of the teachers are overwhelming them with homework, that student is overwhelmed. So I really talk about at a school level, at a school district level, 
how can we consistently implement these changes? With homework, do you talk about the potential of folks that have support at home versus those who don't? That's more when we're talking about the complexity. Yeah. Um, so it is trying to understand the student. How does that homework look for the student who has working parents or five siblings at home? Yeah. Um, how does it look for someone who, like my three daughters, are over-involved in sports and have two hours of practice? At least the teacher should be aware of that. Yeah. Um, how does it work for that high-achieving student who is going to fly through this homework in two minutes compared to that low-achieving student who sat through your class, struggled all class period, doesn't fully understand it, and now has to struggle through the homework, and it may be independently without assistance. No, it's so true. I love all of those topics and some of the things you talked about, you know, the frequency and the meaningfulness, the feedback that's so important with homework and things that, you know, all educators need to be thinking about. What about strategies right now in regards to hybrid learning, and what does the homework look like in that system? Well, I've tried to make that connection where independent practice during hybrid learning is the same as homework. And so when you think about it, I think it's as you're trying to talk through that situation, again, how can you provide opportunities for students to be engaged? How can they have choice? How can they make connections? How can they be creative? And again, how can you have a feedback loop where you're understanding what the student is going through? Mm -hmm. um, I think it's hard. One of my slides when I used to present was think about a child who's been sitting in your classroom for six hours now they have to sit down and do homework. Well, now that same child is sitting on a screen for six hours, so it may even be worse. Yeah. Um, so it's really just understanding what that student is going through. I think at the beginning, you have to think of the relationship with those students and their needs. I mean, do they have food, safety, and technology? Can they even access their homework? So again, a lot of it is just thinking through homework as independent practice. Some people are even saying we don't even need the word of homework. It's just yeah. independent practice. Mm -hmm. And that's what I would kind of advocate for is it doesn't matter where they're practicing, they're practicing the skill. And a lot of the things we talk about, and they're kind of words we've heard before, but kind of quality rather than quantity, you know, just thinking of those good questions to encourage reflection. A lot of the things of good teaching is, has to do with like exit slips. So just getting the students to think, mm -hmm. but it doesn't need to be a one hour assignment either. Are you a super fan of the Aspire podcast? Well, now you can show off your support with the new Aspire swag featuring t-shirts, hoodies, and a variety of drinkware. You can find all your Aspire swag at teachbetter.com swag. Now let's get back to the podcast. So you talked about grading and some of the most passionate conversations I've had with teachers before have to go with homework and grading. So you talked about feedback more for homework because homework is meant to be practiced. So for those who believe that they need to grade every piece of homework, what, what would be something that you would say to them? That's a challenge because you might have parents asking for feedback for every assignment. And we just recently had a discussion in our district. Some of it has to do with looking for trends over connected work. Yep. So you might maybe have a Google slide and with that student, you would communicate weekly what they're doing well at, what their challenges are. You should provide opportunities to self-assess. If you do that, they need to have the criteria and understand it. Um, but a lot of it is self-assessment, reflection, um, peer collaboration, uh, where they're talking through it. But if the student is going to devote time to complete an assignment, there has to be some sort of feedback. And really, when we talk about feedback, it really has to be something that can help them improve. There's been lots of discussions about sometimes when a teacher would put a grade 
and feedback. They just look at the grade. And I would vouch for that. Even in my doctoral classes, if I got an A, I really didn't care what it said. Yep. I was done with it. But what can we do? And, I, and I've been right. I'm in the process of writing a blog right now that just focuses on at the beginning, just getting students to be curious. Mm-hmm. Um, how can they ask questions? How can they think of it basically as a rough draft? I want them to think of the learning and, and be able to take risks. Later on in that journey, um, then they can gather feedback. Um, they can continue to improve it. And the last step I'm talking through is then proudly submitting it. So I'm trying to look at it in stages because my dissertation was about grading. Um, I believe a lot of the things that Tom Gusky says, um, but I'm trying to put it in my own words. And so as I connect it with growth mindset and homework, I'm kind of looking at it as phases where, again, I really think people need to take risks. They need to really be curious. Uh, but ultimately, um, I really like talking about being proud um, because then they're submitting it to an audience. And now with technology, we can submit it um, to a real authentic audience and gather feedback. So we're looking for different purposes, um, but those are ways that I'm starting to look differently about grading and homework. So how does that work with growth mindset and homework, that relationship? Because you talked about risk-taking and I'm just thinking the system, like a, a traditional system where you where you have a piece of homework and you get that grade and not so much feedback, just a grade, and it's every single day. That system doesn't really allow for a whole lot of risk-taking. So like in an ideal situation, what would growth mindset look like in regards to homework? To me, and I read it in my book, I call it learning mindset. It's the same as growth mindset. But I think I focus on four categories that I think are the most pertinent to learning any skill. I talk a lot about sports as well, too, but it's about being responsible, reflective, resilient, and resourceful. So be responsible. Make sure you're following the task, doing it correctly. Reflect. It shouldn't just be the teacher and your parents asking you questions. You should be able to self-assess and think through that. Um, Resilient is the part where you're going to have to struggle. Anything you learn should be at that productive struggle level. Um, where you are being resilient. You have to think of different strategies. Um, I've been talking with different math companies about that resilience. And again, how can you think of strategies and steps and kind of think through that power of yet and resourceful aligns with that as well. And then when I'm talking through it, I also kind of think through your understanding growth mindset. As a student or a teacher, you can explain it and apply it. But I like kind of pushing to that next step. How can you self-assess, set goals, and help and teach and coach others? So what a perfect situation if a student who was struggling through homework can now coach and help his other students and say, this is what I did. This is how I can help you. Because we know when you teach someone something, that's really where you understand it. And so, again, I, I, I tweet a lot about growth mindset, but now I'm trying to get more depth into it. How can we apply that? How can we help others? I think really that's my target with a lot of this. And do you feel like the growth mindset piece can translate into leadership? Absolutely. We talk about the applications of learning in my school district, where we're talking about communicating, collaborating, solving problems, making connections and self-direction. And I've created some graphics where I kind of look at social emotional learning strategies or growth mindset topics. And I kind of align it with that. So when we're talking about communicating, again, that's going to be very important for leadership. If we're talking about expectations, or questions or listening, which is very, very important. Um, If we're talking about collaborating, we know the importance of establishing relationships, being flexible, inspiring, building that trust, making connections. I really like to talk about how, about empathy for others and, and the success of others. You're not competing. You're looking at how you can be inspired by their success. And then my biggest connection for homework is talking about self-direction or solving problems. 
but same with for a leader. If we're talking about self-direction, how can you empower others to reflect and focus and be motivated? A big word would probably be ownership. So as a leader, how can you model and empower that? And then when I jump back to problem solving, again, what are some strategies? How can you learn from your mistakes? I'm a big proponent of if you're looking at obstacles or failures, how can you get better? So it's not just saying getting back up, but it's actually fixing it and actually getting better because of that. Mm -hmm. Um, How can you employ or empower choice and voice um, and curiosity and creativity? You don't just want everyone saying yes. You want people thinking creative. So again, those are some categories and some words that I use. But again, a lot of it, when we go back to like what Carol Dweck says, a lot of it is about effort and attitude. Mm -hmm. And so those those are two words that I kind of key in on the most. So how can we look at your effort and your focus, your attitude? How are you when you're encountering challenges? So a lot of big areas to talk about. But again, those are the connections I typically make. When you're talking about, again, that agency or um, autonomy, again, how can you problem solve and adapt? Adapting is huge. Um, As a leader, you're going to continue to bump into challenges, other perspectives, new information as this pandemic is showing us. So how can you adapt? How can you reflect? How can you work with others in that process? So growth mindset now more than ever, I think is critical for leadership. Most definitely. Eric, I want to know what are you doing with leadership development within your own district? How are you building new leaders each day? I think the best example right now is our coaches. We do have a new math coach and we have a literacy coach. And so typically last year was our best example. We're working with some different professional development as well with our technology literacy coaches, where we were trying to model professional development of how they should teach. So there was, again, we were talking about Hattie, but we were giving teachers a choice based on their ability level. So they may be a beginner or they may be more advanced. And so they did have some choice with that. So I think our coaches were a good example. Unfortunately, this year now we've had to move some of them to be classroom teachers. Um, And during the pandemic, we just have less time. Another example is just our team leaders at the different schools as they're involved in different decisions and leadership opportunities, including like how I started being the director of summer school as well. So those are probably our best examples right now. I know it's hard with the pandemic to give opportunities when you know, everything is, is a lot more difficult as a leader. Talking about adapting, that's that's probably more true this year than ever before. Right. Eric, you mentioned your Growth Mindset blog, and I know you, you blog about other topics too. So where can our listeners find those? So on Twitter, I'm at, at Eric underscore Youngman. It's Eric with a K. And I tweet a lot about that. Um, when I'm talking about my blogs, all of those are on Teach Better. So if you just Google um, Eric Youngman Teach Better blog, Um, they will show up. I think I've written about five or six now. So it's just a good opportunity after writing about homework and doing my dissertation about grading. I like writing about growth mindset because I can connect sports and leadership and learning. And as I've had different conversations with people on Twitter, or I've been interviewed for different podcasts, they've kind of sparked some new ideas and new ways for me to look at it. So it's a good way to share. The blogs are are pretty good because typically the way I'm doing it is I'll create some sort of graphic and tweet it out. And then I'll look to combine three or four of them. And then I'll explain those graphics more in depth. Um, And it has also kind of been a good planning stage for me because now along with presenting about homework, now I'm presenting about growth mindset. So I can kind of take my best advice of what I've created and just kind of go more in depth about it. But blogging is a great opportunity. Teach Better has been awesome supporting that. So it's definitely a good partnership. 
No, most definitely. And we'd love having you on the blogs at teachbetter.com. And then also you talked about your presentations. Are you doing presentations now online? Yeah, it's been interesting. Now I have some scheduled with some regional offices of education in Illinois um, with some school districts. And right now they're all online. Yeah. Um, I've been contacted about like some teacher summits coming up. So mm-hmm. some are live, some are recorded. We're all kind of learning together, but it's interesting. I think there's pros and cons, but to me, I just love Twitter because I can understand what different conferences are going on um, and I can learn what people are talking about. And so we are in a pandemic. We're not traveling. There's a lot of awesome educators who are sharing their stories mm-hmm. um, and we, we need to get through this together. So it's insane. Yeah. Well, and that connection right now is probably needed just for the mental health, but on also in, at a professional level too, of learning new ideas and, and connecting with other people. This podcast is a proud member of the Teach Better Podcast Network. Better today, better tomorrow, and the podcast to get you there. You can find out more at teachbetter.com slash podcast. Now let's get back to the episode. For those who are listening that may not even have a leadership position, what can they do tomorrow, next week to help their leadership journey? I think it's really just asking the right questions to the right people at the right time. Um, Right now, I'm lucky to be connected with different educators in Illinois. Some are teachers, some are leaders, um, but really Twitter has been awesome for me where I'm just trying to follow some key leaders out there. And as they tweet about something, they'll tweet different stories, different blogs, different articles, and that will connect me with other educators out there. And so um, I just like to follow what other educators are doing on Twitter. Mm -hmm. Um, When we're talking about a pandemic, I can see what other countries in Europe are doing and how they're handling it. Um, I can see how Ohio and Indiana are handling it. And it just kind of gives me a different perspective. It may be similar to what we're going through. It may be a little bit different. It may be farther in the process, um, but it just gives me something to reflect about. And then as you connect with different people on Twitter, different opportunities come out too. Like I said, there's been a lot of presentation um, and just discussion opportunities where younger educators are asking questions and we can just give feedback. So I like it where it's kind of a give and take because when I began the process, I was just following George Kuros and Tom Gusky <laughs> and I was just retweeting anything they said because I truly believe with what they say. Yep. But now after reading those, now I'm starting to create my own content and just see, I mean, sometimes it's just about getting through the day. So a lot of the beginning of the day, I'm talking about kindness and gratitude. Mm-hmm. I was just kind of a quiet person, just kind of always doing my best but no one really taught me about kindness and gratitude. And I think those are so important. So I see some really cool tweets out there about empathy and it it makes me reflect, but then I like to share it just to help other people out too. So it's just another way to think um, about leading and your school district, your school is not the only one out there. And so you can see how other educators um, are handling these situations. So it's, I think that's my best advice. Definitely. So Eric, just one more time for those who want to connect with you on social media, how can they do that? Twitter is the primary contact, so it's at Eric underscore young man. It's Eric with a K. Definitely connect with him, and in the show notes, we'll have everything from his book, 12 Characteristics of Deliberate Homework, and the blog, and a way to connect with him on social media. Eric, always a pleasure to talk with you. Thank you so much for being on the Inspire Podcast. I appreciate the conversation. Continue to lead and inspire.